Hello, and welcome back once again to the Inquisitor podcast with me, Marcus Kauke. He's the founder of Modern Mind Group and a learning and performance consultant. Melissa, welcome. Good morning, Marcus. Thank you very much for having me today. Excellent. Melissa, could you give the audience 60 seconds on your background, please, and how you got to where you are? Yeah, absolutely. So what I do, I'll explain that first, is that I help SMEs and scale-ups to close performance gaps in their business so that they can improve their profits and professionally develop their people, people being the most important asset here, right? I have had many, many jobs, all different industries. I am a business generalist. And for the last seven years, I've been working in learning and performance as a consultant, uh, specifically. Prior to that, I was um, a sales and service manager. I've been a training manager. I've pioneered my own training and development department. But now we've sat on both sides of that fence. And I really understand the cultures and the way that teams work to increase performance and have outstanding results. Uh, I'm from Wales. I have a Frenchie. Absolutely love him. Uh, he's absolutely lush. Uh, I'm married with my husband. We love paddleboarding. And yeah, just, you know, I'm, I'm just a very grateful human being as well. I've been through a lot of things. I've been bullied in the workplace twice, which probably is a little bit about why I do what I do as well. And I've seen things in my life that I, you know, I've had to overcome like many people and challenges that we've had. And I'm just, yeah, just grateful for every day that I get to help other people. So tell me this, you obviously spend lots of time talking to people about their people. And I'm often fascinated by the perception gap between what leaders and managers think they are doing and what the people that they lead and manage actually receive on the other end. Why is there such a huge gulf between perception or or delusion and reality? Well, I, I often say this about emotional intelligence in itself. It cannot be improved without the feedback of others because emotional intelligence in itself is the social skills. It is the interaction. It's how we communicate with ourselves as, as, how, as well as how we communicate with other people. But often the feedback will come from other people. Well, if we're not hearing what other people are saying, if we're not being encouraged or we're not being coached, then how do we... We, we don't know what we don't know. So how do we increase, increase, and you know what, it's, it's quite simple. Help people to love you as a leader, genuinely love your people, have great relationship with them where they feel trusted and they feel like they're in a safe environment and you can give them the feedback and they will take that on. But if you're not in that environment, they're not going to necessarily want to hear it from you. If they don't have a great relationship from you, they're not going to be open to that change and it's not going to, make a difference to them because they're not going to apply it. So the obvious question at this stage is, why is it then that so few leaders are open to or receiving this kind of coaching? Because the speed of the leader determines the speed of the group. I 100% agree with that. Because again, they don't know what they don't know they're not being educated on it. They're not being coached on it to have that type of feedback. There's there's a statistic that basically says that only 5% of organizations have actually implemented leadership development within their company. Well, that's 95% of businesses that haven't 
developed and shaped their people. Now, I know we've got a lot of scale-ups and a lot of SMEs. And again, I, I call it the leaky bucket effect. We're very much focusing on the acquisitions. We're focusing on the contracts and the sales that are coming in. And then you grow a business and it can, you know, it can scale up. It's hard work. I'm not going to take that away from anyone. You know, the marketing, the sales side of it, the service side of it, getting the product ready. All of that stuff is, is difficult. Then you recruit the people. And at times it's a little bit like, oh, well, I just need people. Yeah, they just seem like, you know, the best person. I kind of get on with them. Yeah, let's get them in. And then the business grows and you're focusing on what's coming in, but you're not realizing that you're losing potential and profit through these performance gaps within the leaky bucket because retention, you're not keeping your staff long enough or your service and sales are actually causing you headaches on the back end. And now you're having to refund or you're having customers, you're not, they're not coming back to you or the leadership. And you've now got a team of employees aren't being engaged or motivated. They don't feel like people care about them and therefore they don't want to achieve the targets that you and the executive team have set out. So, so that can happen. As human beings, we all have perception gaps. Absolutely, 100%. You know, you can you can look up Jahari's window. It's there for a reason. We talk about the four different quadrants of the blind spots. We don't know what we don't know. And unless we have an outside supporting coach or, or a leader that has the time to spend with their people, we're not going to know what those gaps are. And interestingly enough, as human beings, we want the feedback, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We're just scared to get that feedback. And we can think, oh, we're absolute rock stars at this. I'm brilliant at this. I'm absolutely brilliant at this. Maybe, you know, big fish, small pond. We don't realize that actually there's another gear or there's another level, there's more potential, but we're not having that feedback necessarily. So how do we close it? it? It starts with the leaders becoming more emotionally intelligent to understand what things can change and how to put across that message. Most people, when it comes to anxiety within the workplace, struggle with communicating a message that can help somebody achieve their potential. They worried, I don't want to break down this relationship. You, you won't break down a relationship if you understand how to communicate that message in a way that doesn't make that person feel like they've been poked in the eye, right? We can all go around poking people in the eye, but if you go very, very slowly, you can touch the whole eyeball without someone feeling a thing. And that's what I call effective, emotional, intelligent leadership, is that you can tell someone a message which is not hot, it is not great, but it is so important for their potential because when you help them understand that, you can help them move forward and achieve loads of things, amazing things. So let, let me unpack what I think I've heard you tell me. It starts with willingness and awareness mm -hmm. at a leadership level to recognize that the leaders and the managers do not know everything and that they have people they've employed who have masses of untapped potential and it will stay untapped unless the leaders make themselves vulnerable enough to seek feedback and understand what they need to do to help their people. There needs to be a culture that protects the identity, the who, of each of the people who is being coached. And there is a two-way feedback loop that must ensure that there is equality in the relationship when coaching and it's a safe place 
for certainly the employee, but the leader also needs to understand that it's a learning opportunity for them to grow and develop. And unless they nurture and take care of the other person's identity when they're giving feedback, then it will feel like a reprimand. And if they're vulnerable enough and take the plunge, then they tap into enormous resources, which gives them a significant competitive advantage and makes uh, their workplace a place uh, that people want to come to. Is that a pretty fair summary? (laughs) That's a bloody great summary. Yeah, absolutely. Something that you said there, though, about if they're vulnerable enough, that's the point, right? Who knows us well enough? And as an executive as well, who do you turn to to say, hey, you know what? I need a little bit of help with this. And as a learning and performance consultant, I am absolutely humbled every time that a client wants to work with me because they want, they are, you know, they they are willing to learn. They are curious. They understand that the people that they have, even, even the people that they've hired to do this specific role, and suddenly they realize maybe they don't have you know, the level that we're looking for in order to take this forward. Or maybe I've put them on these other projects and I'm not able to do that. So I am humbled by the fact that it takes a lot of trust and a great relationship to be able to let a consultant in to help you. You know, you've got to, being a learning performance consultant, I have to see the whole jigsaw piece, right? Culture is every single thing that we do, right? Every single thing that we do as a business. So you you may want to fix one certain thing, but everything that you do around it will affect that. So when you're working with a consultant, to be able to share data, to be able to share what's working, what's not working, tell them the truth that's going on, there has to be a specific pain point for you. And often it's the, you know, for the executive team, it's the sleepless nights that come with you know, why are my employees leaving? Or, you know, how am I going to get them to, to, to stay? Why aren't they happy in the workplace? Why are they complaining to me about these things? Those, those things keep people awake at night. And also, let's be honest with, especially the year that we've had in the last 12 months, how am I going to hit the targets and get the profits that I'm aiming to achieve? Being fair, you know, in order to do that, you have to be able to, to, to be a little bit more curious. You have to want to know what's not working. And I have um, on the website, and anyone that's listening, you're very welcome to, to go and check it out. There's an excellent score. So over 100 businesses have completed this score, right? It takes a little bit of time to complete, but it's absolutely worth it. Because an average business will come out with a score of 5.2 out of 10, just over 50%. So what we have is that you want a target, but maybe those those aren't broken down from the, the overall objective of the business and then breaking that down into actionable steps, bringing the leadership on board to engage with that and how, the how, right? Everyone wants the dream, but it's the how we get there and the things that we do to do it. But you will increase profit by even moving that. So I'll give you an example. I worked with a client that they, they were at a score of a five. They helped their employees, their business get to over an eight, and they made 3.2 million within 24 months. That was through getting the right leadership in place. That was through training the frontline employees and staff. That was coaching. And I mean, very vulnerable coaching, the way that it was set up. 
but in a trusting environment where the culture was so strong that, oh my gosh, like they, they far surpassed any target that they were ever looking to achieve. They actually started to, they actually started to compete with a premium brand. They were a low cost brand, started to compete with a premium brand because their culture was so strong and it started to make the premium brand go, oh, hang on a minute. Uh, what? They're almost at the same figures as us. How is that possible? Well, when you, you train your people right, when you have their best interests at heart, and really dig into how to help them to improve and their potential, and you unlock that potential by having great relationships, you can really absolutely beat the competition, you know? So this then points to a, a truth that I've come to realize as well over the years. That, um, and it, it comes from a quote from Henry Ford, that a business that is set up solely to make money is a bad business. And if we look at the research that came out of Salesforce in December 2020, they came up with a formula which, in all honesty, is a blinding flash of the obvious, which is customer success equals customer outcomes over customer experience times employee experience. And the really important thing to take from that is that the employee experience is the single biggest determining factor as to whether the customers get the outcomes that they're renting from you and whether they are successful. And unfortunately, I think so many companies are more along the lines of the uh, depressingly accurate Dilbert cartoon where uh, Dilbert walks in and speaks to the boss and the boss says, it's not true. People aren't our most important asset. They come ninth after paper clips. Hmm. And uh, unfortunately, that's often the case because management and leadership are fixated on the target, on the revenue, on the profit. And what they don't seem to understand is hitting the targets, generating the revenue, accumulating profits is a byproduct. It's not the end in itself. It's a byproduct of having highly engaged employees who are doing work they consider to be important and meaningful, where they feel valued, where they feel part of something bigger than themselves. And where the emphasis is on delivering an outstanding outcome for their customers and making them wildly successful. And products flood in, as you, um, in your example. And I think part of the problem is that people are so fixated on the obvious instead of what really matters. So what are the questions that they should be asking, but they're not? Mm, so the questions that they should be asking when they're not. But I also think, can I just come back to that point that you just said about the the people want to do the obvious? I'd challenge you on that. I think people want to do what's convenient. It's the quickest thing, especially in the, you know, the three second culture we seem to be in where we can order something off Amazon Prime. What's the quickest thing I can do? Let me tell you now, excellence is not convenient. It is complex. And I will say that again and again, do the right thing. You get an even better result. Uh, but the questions, Marcus, how much do you really know your people? Time and time again, as a, as a consultant, as a coach, 
when you have the conversations with the employees, when you really look at understanding them as individuals, you start to understand how you can help them either come on board with some of the objectives that you have as a business with the, you know, we we all talk about buy-in. Have you got any buy-in? Buy-in is bloody understanding people. That's what it is. And helping them to understand things from the way that you look at them. And the only way that you're going to be able to do that is by helping them believe and, and really believe in it, that you do have their best interests at heart. I will go into a, a company, many leadership programs that I've run, especially within workshops. And I'll, I'll say, right, okay, 15 or 16 people in this classroom, you know, in this, in this leadership workshop. What I want you to do, I want you to write down all of your employees within your team. And next to it, I want you to write down what month their birthday is. <laughs> then I want you to write down who their partner is if they have one. Then I want you to write down if they have any pets. Tell me what they're really passionate about. What are their hobbies? What do they do outside of work? Now tell me what really motivates them. And you've got 10 minutes to complete that, right? And, I can, and I'm standing there and I, I love this part because it is the aha moment. I stand there and I, you know, wait and I, you know, someone might ask me questions and I can see the cogs turning and the blank pages in front of people. And then I say, okay, so who managed to fill that in 100%? Zero. Who managed to get it to 70%, 80%? And a couple of hands will shoot up, right? And that's going to be your, your 5 to 10% of leaders. And that, that is what we're looking at. And then everybody else will be, oh my gosh, I don't know my people. Right. But every time that you talk to me about performance, you're telling me what they're not doing. You're telling me what they're not hitting targets. The only way to help them understand and to get them to buy into you as a leader is to really understand everything about that person. Well, it comes back to sales, right? We're all, we're all influencing people in a positive way to make informed decisions about their life. I mean, you can take a horse to water, you cannot make it drink, but ultimately you can help them to understand where they're at. They're not going to listen to you if they don't feel like you actually care about them. They're not, they're not. They're not going to understand why it should be so important to them to help the business when they don't feel like anybody cares about them. And that's the place to start. If you cannot answer the question, don't guess. If you cannot answer the question about what motivates your employees and not collectively, individually, and it's not money. Anybody tells me money, it's what money can do for someone. It changes people's lives. I've seen it happen, but it is what it does for them. That's what they get out of bed in the morning for. Not for you, not for anybody else. What is in it for them? It's everybody's favorite radio station. Again, I'm just going to stretch this a little bit and I'm going to challenge it. You can make a leader horse to water and make them drink, but you have to make them thirsty. So you have to put some salt in the oats. And it doesn't have to be an unpleasant experience. I think it's really important that you do understand your people. If you don't understand your people, you cannot possibly tie their corporate objectives back to their personal objectives. And I, I'm just going through series of conversations with partners. And in the partner-related sale, it's very difficult because you have no power. Your currency are trust and influence. And the only way you can develop trust and influence is by really understanding another human being. And Partners are in business for their reasons, not your reasons. They don't care 
about your quota. They don't care about your company, your products, your services. They, they may do later, but only once you've taken the time to really understand what they are trying to achieve. And helping them become wildly successful is every vendor's obligation if they're going to enter into a partnership. And I don't see it as being any different uh, between an employer and an employee. You are entering into a partnership and partners help each other to get better. It's a challenging experience. You need to be ready to enter into constructive conflict. You need to be ready to listen, to pay attention. And attention is a currency. You pay attention. The problem is that most people are so fixated on their own little piece that they don't see the impact of their behavior and their actions and their thinking. And uh, you, you see this very often in firms that hire minorities where they pay lip service to the whole idea of diversity and inclusion. And then what they don't realize is the little snidey comments or the bombs that people drop cause those people to leave after you've spent a fortune attracting them, developing them, training them. And uh, I think far too often we're not self-aware enough. And at a leadership level, I think self-awareness is the starting point for all of this. If you are not self-aware, if you don't understand what drives you, if you don't understand how you communicate, if you don't understand how you react to situations and you make the fatal assumption that everyone sees the world the way you do, then you will have an environment which is has a high ch uh, churn of employees where people will give the minimum necessary not to get fired, where you don't have a feedback loop because people are afraid to give you honest feedback. And one of my favorite examples of somebody who really took the plunge is uh, my pal, Michael Brody waite Michael uh, was running a company. It was growing like wildfire. And he had no idea what he was doing. He's an ex-drug addict who had started this company and all of a sudden, they were going through quadruple digit growth and overnight. And one day, he just sat with the team and said, you know, I haven't got a clue what I'm doing. I need help. And that was the turning point. That was the moment where everybody muscled in and they bought into that vulnerability. And yes, it's dangerous to do it. It's a risk because people may try and take advantage or punish you for it. But the reality is, in most cases, people won't. And if any individual did, I suspect the rest of the team would turn on them. And they would protect the leader. But very often, leaders are brittle. They won't ask for help. And they suffer in isolation. And vulnerability is a strength. It requires you to put yourself in harm's way to make yourself woundable and take the risk that other people will judge you, will take advantage, will punish you for it. But the moment you do that, then it opens the door for everybody 
to give their best and to make a contribution. And you see it in organizations where they've had very, very high personal injury rates. So in things like smelting and industrial machinery and so on, where people, uh, Gallup did the 12 questions. And the most important question is, do you have a best friend at work? And interestingly enough, this is the one that most organizations remove. But you don't let a best friend harm themselves. You don't let a best friend do stupid things. You'll tell a best friend when they're doing something that is counter to their interest and everyone else's interest. And part of the problem that I see is that people don't really understand that given that we spend so much time at work, and it's the thing that consumes much of our lives, it's so important that we create that environment where people feel safe enough to be vulnerable. Your thoughts? Absolutely. The moment I started to unlock my vulnerability and share stories about the fact that, you know, and when you help people to understand the impact and the influence, there is only two ways to do that. It's through stories and social proof. And, And both of them have to be very, very true and very, very genuine. When it comes to, I'm going to take it back to what you said a little bit about culture and diversity, because I think this is is so true as well. I wrote a chapter, it's in a best-selling book called Inspirational Women of the World that was released last year, and it's called Love to Lead. And I'm absolutely fascinated, nothing that ever happens by accident, right, that you brought up the Gallup survey about best friend at work. So 33% of people within a survey that was also done by Total Jobs um, in UK came up with the statistic that 33% of people do not have a best friend at work. They do not have a close relationship with somebody at work. They are the people that are looking for other jobs right now. And part of that is to do with the culture and diversity of, because they don't feel included. We have four big human needs, right? To feel valued, to feel safe, to feel in control, and to feel like we belong, right? And I screwed up on this, Marcus, when I was younger. I was a young manager and I was pretty good at what I did. You know, we had one of the best teams in the call center. And that's what I talk about in the chapter. But I was, I was focusing on the relationships that I had with the people that it was just easy to get on with. Now, the reason why I was doing this is very deep into the bullying conversation that I brought up earlier was that I'd learned not to trust other human beings when I was in my, in my teens because of something that happened to me. So I was all the smiles, I was all the energy, but I didn't want to connect with maybe the people that are a little bit too difficult to connect with on a deeper level because it made me a little bit more vulnerable, right? I didn't, I didn't understand leadership. I mean, I wasn't, as everyone would say, fluffy, which when people talk to me now, um, they'll see that I'm strong, determined, but I will be vulnerable. I will share stories about the things that, I've ha- that have happened because they do help you to connect with, with other people, as long as they're relevant, right? But anyway, years ago, one of the great, greatest teams in the call center, hitting numbers, brilliant, you know. But if someone said to me, oh, you know, Mal, my cat's really sick. Like, seriously, my empathy, my emotional intelligence was not there. Oh, that's sad. Okay, so we've got 200,000 that we need to hit by now by the end of the week. So if you could just get, like, literally so objective, it was, you know, like, you know, where is her heart, right? But my heart was there for the people that were in the close circle, but not widely shared, again, because of trust, right? Because of how I wasn't able to trust those. But what ended up happening, there was a guy on my team 
And he literally came up to me one day and he was shaking and he asked for my manager to come along. And I was like, what the heck's going on here? And he was shaking, physically shaking. And he said, I just think that it would just be better for me to be on another team. I was like, what? I was like, what, you want to move team? Of course, my ego took a, a massive dent, Marcus. I'm, you know, I thought I was this hotshot manager that was great at what I did. And ultimately, he, there he was in front of me saying, maybe you're not so great at this, Mel, because this guy doesn't even want to be on your team. Like, whether you're hitting targets or not, he's decided that he wants to basically go chance his hand at maybe one of the other teams before he maybe jumps ship. And my my kind of my self-awareness probably kicked in at that moment. I, don't, I can't tell you why or how, but I suddenly thought, well, the problem isn't him, Mel. It's you. What have you done to this person that is vulnerable in front of you and is physically shaking or not done, as the case may be, that they now want to go on to another team? And at that moment in time, I said, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. I don't know what I have done or not done to make you feel this way but give me a chance to fix it. Give me a chance to make a change. Look, let's, you know, let's both, you know, you've, you've, you seem quite emotional about this. I'm obviously, this is the first time I'm shocked. I'm hearing it. Can, can we just take, you know, 24 hours, let's both sleep on it. We'll have a conversation in the morning and then take it from there. Anyway, he did. And I, I just said, I came back in and I said, I am sorry. Give me two weeks. I was like, if you still want to move after two weeks, I was like, then, you know, all fair, you know, but what I realized is that whilst I was sitting there doing this goal set and then telling him about all his KPIs, I didn't know the individual in front of me. I didn't know that this particular guy who was in front of me, didn't he have and have money for his lunch at times that ran to work because he couldn't afford the bus and used the, the work shower. I didn't know any of this stuff about this, this person at the time. I realized you have to get, at that moment in time, you have to work with every single person and understand that they have lives and needs and wants that are way bigger beyond the organization or beyond the targets that you want to hit. And the good news is he did stay on the team, eventually left the company, but he did stay on the team. And, um, you know, he, I found out so much about him. I ended up going to an open mic night. I took time out of my own life to go and find out that I went to an open mic night that he was running. And you should have seen his face when I was actually there. He was like, well, you came. Yeah, I do care. And I'm sorry that I didn't before, but I bloody well do now. And, you know, we have a responsibility when we have employees, when you are promoted, when you're given a team leader position, when you are given this gift, and it is a gift to be able to help other people to get ahead in life to help them reach their potential, to help them understand the, you know, the, the, those performance gaps. You also have a responsibility to start looking at how you are working and managing and understanding how you're... I'd never asked anyone whether they thought I was a good manager before that point. Bloody heck, I'll ask them all the time now. What do you, know, what do you need help with? What do I need to do a little bit more? What, you know, what, what would you say would be something that I could improve on? That's the vulnerability. Those are the good questions. But if you've got a good relationship with them and you know what makes them tick, they'll tell you the answer because they trust you. And they know you're not going to use it against them. So how can people get hold of that survey from your website? What's the URL? Oh, the, the excellence score. They just go on to modernmindgroup.co.uk. And if they look at the top menu, there's excellence score there. You just click through, it pops up and you can complete it all. All I'd say is, 
do it. Over a hundred businesses have done it. You will find out why you, if the worst thing that happens is that you find out how to make yourself another 3.2 million by doing it, I don't think that's such a bad thing, but it will pinpoint where your performance gaps are in terms of your leadership and in terms of the way that you set up your performance goals. Because also I think what's happened, Marcus, in the last couple of years is that people are talking about well-being and mental health, right? Some businesses are so concerned with the mental health and the well-being of their teams that they're not setting goals and they're not having performance conversations with them but that's part of well-being is to be motivated and to have that interaction with your management that tell you how you can improve. You can have both. You can absolutely have both. But there's this stigma around, oh, well, if someone's feeling too anxious or doing this, I'm not able to actually, you know, I'm not able to set them strong goals. I'm not able to talk to them about what they can do to improve. Well, no, that's not right. They, they want to know that stuff. It's, it's, not an, it. it's not an either or you need to understand your people and the people also need to understand what contribution they need to make in order to help the company achieve its objectives and what part they play in it. So if you're listening to this and you know someone uh, who would benefit from having a listen, then please share it with them because I think it's really important that leaders understand that it's not just about the achievement of performance objectives. It's really about understanding how, who you've got on your team and who they really are and understanding where their strengths lie and where they have potential, which can be developed and helping them to achieve that, which means that you need to spend more time on working with the individuals within your team and helping them realize their potential so that their grasp goes beyond their current reach. And at the moment, I would put money on it that you have people within your organization who are frustrated because they know that they can contribute so much more and they want to and they need you to be the catalyst to help them to do that. So make sure that you reflect and ask yourself whether or not you're really giving your people the opportunity to meet their potential and seek their feedback because you'd be amazed at just how powerful it is to get the raw, unvarnished feedback And the only response is thank you, not to punish them. So you have to create the three Ps, permission, protection, and parity. In that conversation, you are all equal. They need to feel safe. And the minute they even get an inkling or a sniff that you're going to punish them for it, that you're going to hold a grudge, then that's it. It's game over. So really make sure that you're prepared and be ready to hear things that you would rather not hear, but you need to hear. It's vital. So Mel, I asked you some of the questions that people should be asking, but they're not. And one of them in our preparation was, why are my leaders not more caring towards their employees? 
And we've touched on them being fixated on the operational goals and awareness. And we've also touched on how little they really know. In fact, I remember interviewing a fabulous lady called Suzanne Jacobs, who was a senior partner at KPMG. And one day she realized that she knew more about her PC than she did about her people. And that was her turning point. And it's really important that you stop guessing and you actually learn what's real. So a key question that you raised earlier uh, in the preamble is what's your intention as a leader? Can we go into that? Yeah, absolutely. So when a company gives you a lot of tasks, gives you these people to look after, to help and to guide, often what can happen in operations is we'll do what's quick and fast. And what happens there is that if your intention is to get something done, that is a way that it is going to come across. If your intention is to help and guide someone and help them achieve something for themselves, your communication is going to be very, very different, right? And again, I come back to the excellence is complex, not convenient. When you're leading people, it takes a little bit more time. And I I always give someone an example of this. And here's, here's the example of the role play scenario. Marcus, can you complete your KPIs and make sure that you put them into the report? Marcus, can you, can you repeat? Can you make sure that you put your KPIs into the report for me? Can you put your KPIs into the report for me? Or Marcus, I know that you want to be the best employee here. And I know you want to win the awards at the end of the year. You've absolutely told me that. And I believe you deserve it. So when you put your KPIs into the report, it is going to be able to show you exactly where you're at now and where you need to go. So if you don't know where you're at, how is it going to help you get what you want? So let's start doing it today. Completely different, completely different communication, right? The, the second one, intention focused on you. Does it help with the business outcome? Absolutely. But it helps you more than it helps anybody else, right? And I know that it, we've had conversations about reporting in the past, things like that. But ultimately, I was just using it as an example. But if my communication is about you, and it takes longer, I agree. If you look back at maybe how many seconds it took to say the first sentence, it's probably one to two, versus the second sentence, three to four seconds. As human beings, our reptilian brain, when we're stressed, when we're putting fires out in work and things are going fast, will go into convenience. It will go into convenience mode, put out the fires, tell everyone what they're not doing and what we need to do. What it doesn't do is take a pause and say, how can I reframe this message so that they understand that it's the benefit for them, not for me, not for anybody else, that is absolutely, again, it is towards what Marcus wants and not towards what I want or John, or Emily, or whoever else is in your team. But that communication and everything that you communicate, it's, it's, like, it's like I'm talking to marketing, right? It's about what's in it for them. It always has to be. But we often will start when it's quick, when it's fast, what will come out of your mouth is, just do this for me. Or yeah, or oh, I've just got to do this coaching on you. So I've just got to do this. I've just got to do this coaching on you. Or I want to spend some time with you, Marcus, because I understand we're busy. This is really important for your potential and for us as a team. So I'm going to spend the time to do some coaching with you today. Like 
two completely different leadership styles and communication. Now, it doesn't say that the person with the intention to get something done doesn't want someone to reach their potential, but we have to understand that what our intention starts with will be the way that it is felt by the other person. You know? I think there are a couple of things here as well that we really need to establish, which is that one of the most critical skills that is missing in virtually every employee, manager, and leader is listening. And listening is really a whole body experience. It's something that means that you have to be fully present for. You're not just listening for a gap for you to fill the uh, silence with the sound of your own voice. And listening needs to be an intentional act. And it's the conveyance of meaning. It's demonstrating that you have understood what someone else genuinely intends to convey to you. And it requires you to learn how to listen for what's not being said, how it's being said when it's being said, and understanding the motive, cause, and intent behind any particular moment of communication. But it's massively under-trained. I know of maybe two or three listening coaches, and I know a lot of coaches, and people talk about active listening, but they don't really mean it and it's glossed over and it's a skill that every human being should develop well and if you're in leadership or management it's utterly essential so again why is so little attention paid to genuine listening because listening is it starts with asking more questions and We've become passive in our communication where we'll listen, but not understand, like you just said, that there's another layer to this. What someone's telling me on the face of something, there's another layer. I go all the way back to English literature and I will absolutely, I loved my English literature teacher because he helped me understand the subtext between what someone was saying or writing down and what they actually meant underneath. And if you can stay a little bit more curious as a coach and you can ask a few more questions, but again, you have to be present to listen to the answer. And if you can say, what's on your mind today? Not how are you? What's on your mind today? Loads of things actually, Mel. I'm really stressed about what happened this morning when I dropped my kids off to school. You know, people have this, um, also this thing about everything that you have outside of life, you leave at the door when you come in. (laughs) (laughs) that is the most ridiculous thing that ever happened because what's happening is that person doesn't, it doesn't allow that person to express what's going on with them so that they can release it. They can allow that to sit, to have somebody to listen, to then focus on something else. (laughs) So you, you have to be able to ask a few more questions. If you say to someone, how are you? The first time. Yeah, I'm all right. Body language and tone told you they weren't. What else is going on with you? What's on your mind today? Oh, I'm really worried about hitting my target, to be honest, Mel. Right, talk to me about it. What are you worried about? Why is that making you feel worried? Or what, what, is, what is making you, what do you think is going to happen? This, okay, tell me the stuff that you have done. And this and this. Well, that's great. 
But also this comes down to, okay, here's about listening. By the way, I also have um, a free course on listening skills on the website. If people go on to free resources, you can actually download an hour's worth of course completely free on listening skills. And there's a brilliant TED talk by Julian Treasure uh, who talks about effective listening. It's one of the top watched TED talks that there's ever been because people don't understand it enough. Again, it's, it's about the self-awareness. Some people don't even listen to themselves, uh, but you can check out that course. But when it comes to your people, ask them more questions, but be present for them. Not in the middle of doing an email to somebody else, not in the middle of, you know, <laughs> thinking about the P&L for next year. Ask them questions one-on-one. But again, Marcus, it's not convenient to schedule time for your people. It's not convenient to do that, to, to give yourself space to listen. But it has to be done. Like you said, it's crucial. Well, there's one thing that I want to unpack from that. But um, there are three people who listeners can pay attention to. Julian Treasure is definitely one. Mark Goulston is fantastic. And if you haven't heard the second ever podcast that I did, so if you go into the back catalogue, Mark Goulston did a fabulous one on selling with empathic listening. And his book, Just Listen, is a must read. And also check out Laura Janusik, J-A-N-U-S-I-K. And all three of them have great material on listening. And they provide uh, training, they provide resources that you can bring into your business or you can develop individually. And I would strongly recommend that. You've touched on something really important here, uh, Mel, as well, which is that as a manager, you need to have a cadence where there is regular coaching, where there is regular time set aside exclusively to be fully present with your people on a one-on-one basis and give them a voice. I always say that managers have only five lines on their job description. Hire the best people. If you hire the best people, 95% of your management problems go away. Now, in order to hire the best people, you need to spend time proactively building your bench of candidates. So you're picking from the best in the market rather than recruiting reactively and taking the best compromised candidate who is available at the time. The second is get the best out of them. And this means pre onboarding, onboarding training, coaching, and accountability. And coaching and training need to have a cadence. There needs to be regular coaching, regular training ongoing. 70% of learning happens after training in the field. It happens after through reinforcement. And it's reinforced also through coaching. Now, What we know is that managers who coach their individual salespeople three to three and a half hours per month have an average quota attainment of 105%. Managers who don't have an average quota attainment per individual of 40 to 60%. Only 13% of teams in 2019-2020 hit their sales quota. And coaching is the superpower And the most important element of that is listening. But you have to set time aside intentionally. And it's part of your calendar blocking where you set aside regular time for you to coach your people, maybe 20 minutes a week, 
uh, one-on-one. You might have group coaching. Then you might have coaching in the field. Then there may be individual coaching using a tool like, for example, mobile practice, which allows you to take a moment in their interaction with a customer or a manager interacting with uh, one of their people and take that moment and give them a specific exercise to practice and develop so that you can give them feedback. Now, then you have to protect them. You have to protect them from acts of idiocy from above and also help them clear roadblocks. And you also have to manage inclusively, which means that people need to have a voice. Where managers don't give their people a voice, what tends to happen is either upward delegation happens and you create learned helplessness, or people are afraid to voice their opinions, and so they do the minimum necessary not to get noticed so that they don't get punished. Now, if you're a persecuting or a rescuing manager, you diminish the individuals within the team and you end up creating more work for yourself, which is why you end up knackered and run ragged. And you're suffering from upward delegation a lot of the time, or you're having to jump in to try and make up uh, the target. And the net result of that is that you will burn out. And if you don't burn out, you will churn through people, which means that you now have a higher recruitment tariff. And What we know from Dr. Phil McGowan's work in his PhD is that salespeople typically take an average of three years to reach their full capacity. And I know this is a topic that winds you up, uh, Mel. So we'll, we'll go into it in a moment. But people get into a rhythm and they learn and they build. And over three years, they really develop a huge amount of experience. And they start to join the dots in ways that they can't when they're first starting out. But it's that inclusive management that is really key. If you are not giving them an opportunity to say their piece, if you're not having them work with other people in the team. So one of my favorite things is pre-mortems. And you have a red team, and their job is to pick the, the opportunity apart. And the white team, and their job is to defend it. And every single time, I've done this. We've ended up with a wealth, you know, 30, 40, 50 questions that have been left unanswered. And the salesperson running that sale didn't realize that there were those gaps. And when they go back and they start filling those gaps, all of a sudden the sale advances very rapidly or they rapidly disqualify out. And when they go and meet the customer, they differentiate dramatically because of how they have sold because of the depth, the thoroughness, the attention to detail, and the emphasis on the customer's outcome. And far, far too uh, infrequently is that the focus of a sale. Often, it's simply, can I hit my target? And so my question to everybody is, do you care more about your commission than your customer? So Mel, you're bursting to ask that question about the three years. Yeah, but I'm now listening to your mic drop of do you care more about your commission than the customer? And again, that comes back to leadership, right? Because if you're you're <laughs> our communication as a leader can change very, very much depending on what time of the month it is or what part of the quarter, you know, part of the quarter that we're in. If we're doing the right things from the beginning and we're doing it with the right intentions, then those things will look after themselves. If you focus on money, you'll make money. If you focus on people, you make more money. 
yeah, let's come back to the three years. Why on earth does it take three years? Well, I mean, we talked about the fact that 5% of organizations are developing their leaders. That might be part of it. (laughs) Because if there's 95% of them that aren't, what happens in that three years, ultimately? And I haven't looked into all of the research, but I'm definitely going to to unpick it. Is that they have to figure out a lot of that themselves. And like you said about, you know, doing these pre-mortems, let's figure out what you don't know. Let's find out. All I want to do is, and you rightly said it, when it comes to practice, it's a great book, my favorite book of all time, Grit by Angela Duckworth, The Power of Passion and Perseverance, right? And ultimately, someone can be talented. They don't have to have experience. They can be talented in something, but it takes effort to create skill. And from skill, if you use effort with that skill, you will get achievement, right? But experts practice on purpose, not on prospects. And I know Ben Eddy's a lover of that quote as well with, uh, not Ben Eddy, yeah, Ben Eddy with mobile practice. I know he is. And that is ultimately it. If you practice on purpose, if you find out what you don't know, and I love a conversation with my clients where they ask me questions because then I realize, oh, well, somebody else may need to know the answer to that in the future. So how am I going to help and inform somebody about that and be transparent with them? It shouldn't take three years. If if three years is figuring it out yourself, if you've got a leader that knows how to do it, is competent enough to do it, can coach that person and make them feel like they are a frigging rock star when they are part of, although they're part of the team, right? They all have to play the instruments. If they can make them feel like that, and you can help them and guide them with the experience and the knowledge that you have, then they won't, it won't take them three years. Absolutely not. And it comes, brings me back to that Gallup survey where I saw that they decided that, that the start, they decided based on their research, I get it, that the start of excellence was 36% engagement. Now, without knowing exactly how they did that, engagement to me, when we're talking about world-class, world-class engagement we have to appreciate the top 80% world-class engagement I have seen smashing the bell curve of performance to pieces. Look at any football team, right? They work together. You can't have a bell curve of performance in a, in a Premier League football team. They all have to be on their game. And the only way that happens is in a trusting environment of practice. If they don't spend the time on the field to practice, they ain't going to score the goals when the whistle blows. We need to wrap up, but I'm going to build on uh, your point. It's perfect practice makes perfect. Um, It's really important that you practice intentionally, deliberately, consistently, and repeatedly. Because if you don't, then your skills start to backslide. And the key, I believe, is in preparation. What's missing in far, far too many organizations, particularly within sales, is lack of planning and lack of rehearsal. And for every minute you're in front of a customer, three minutes of rehearsal. Let me repeat that. Three times as much rehearsal should go in to your preparation and practice than you will spend in front of the customer. And think about the tariff. If you do not do this, then you fall foul of the most depressing statistic there is in sales, which is on average, only one in eight first meetings result in a second. So think about this. You've just spent all that time, money, effort, resource, blood, sweat, and tears generating the lead. 
you've paid for the uh, the name and the contact details, then marketing has inflicted their marketing morphine on them. Uh, you've put them to the top of the funnel, then you've thrown them over the wall to the sales team. The SDRs have done 33 dials in order to get one effective, 14 effectives on average to get one first meeting. And then you blow it through lack of preparation. That is an act of gross misconduct and incompetence on behalf of the manager for not enforcing that and for not making that part of the culture. So, look, we have to wrap up now, sadly. How can people get hold of you? You can find me on LinkedIn. Just uh, type in Melissa Curran and you'll see that I'll pop up there. So you can contact me there. You can, of course, go to the website, modernmindgroup.co.uk and you can contact me there as well. But absolutely open to, you know, helping. If you've got five employees or more, I can help you. Absolutely. Either put the processes in early or let me reshape the culture that you've already created into something that is much, much better for your people, for your leaders. And I think it comes back to just to finish on this note, Marcus, what you said about, you know, the coaching and they think that they're coaching. A lot of the time, if we're giving people feedback, we are giving them, unfortunately, it feels like a reprimand because we're picking them up on the things they haven't done great. What I would say to anybody listening out there today on this podcast is ask yourself, what have you told your people that they have done great at today? Whether it's turning up on time, whether it's being an incredibly focused person on helping other people in the team, whatever you need to give them recognition for, give it to them today because they're already telling themselves everything that they're not good at. Yes, we need to improve, but tell people what they're good at too. Thank you, Melissa Curran. Thank you very much. Thank you, Marcus. So this is Marcus Kauke signing off once again from the Inquisitor podcast. If you want to get hold of me, Marcus at laughs-last.com. And if you know somebody who would benefit from listening to this podcast, then please send them a link and share it with them. In the meantime, stay safe and happy selling. Bye-bye.